0: just hit the ground running this one is really fun um we'll start with housekeeping as always you can listen to us everywhere visit us at podcast core for all of our info email us at podcastcore at gmail.com to get in contact follow us on all the platforms because that helps us the best so we don't have to do like advertisements and leave a like and comment we love to hear from you all uh but the easiest way the way we've made it this far is word of mouth, so tell a friend to learn where not to stick their hand by listening to the Casuals of Runterra podcast. All right, let's hop straight into it. So we start with chapter 17, and this has three scenes in it, and the first scene is the only one we get a bit more of, Callista here, and we kind of pick up where we left off. Remember, she's waiting for uh, the council to come to a decision. And four days have passed. She's still skeptical about the Blessed Isles and how it functions. And she gets a note from Tyrus that informs her, hey, the council still has yet to come to a decision. And she's kind of given up on being mad about it. (laughs) So she's like, okay, screw it. I'll finally try to explore the city instead of being cooped up in this. Well, I say cooped up. It's a massive room, right? She has probably one of the best Airbnbs out there. But she goes to roam, roam, roam around the city And she wants to see what's going on. But unfortunately, she can't really get into any location. So she tries to go to like this giant museum and she can't get in. The guards turn her away. She tries to go to other buildings. The same thing happens. So at a certain point, she's like, fuck it. Finds like this little park area that has a bench and she sits on it and kind of looks out into the wall of mist, which you can imagine is probably an unnatural sight, right? Like sitting on a beach where normally you see an endless horizon, but there's just a giant wall of mist there. And she even thinks about how eerie that feeling is. Uh, But she also thinks about the people in her life, right? First, she thinks about Venix. Because she knows Venix is on the other side waiting on her. And she doesn't know how long Venix is going to wait. I think originally she told her, hey, we got to get supplies at some point. So if it's longer than that, I'm going to go back, find a port, get some supplies, and then come back and grab you if you're ready. But we don't know what's going to happen after the decision is made. So then, she also thinks about Ladros, uh, but she notices she misses Ladros, but doesn't really think about Hecram, which you know the guy she's engaged to, <laughs> and this kind of makes her conflicted. If you remember back a couple episodes when we talked about that that dynamic, and as she's thinking about this, she barely notices this woman who comes up and starts talking to her, and she notices the woman stands out from other patrons on the aisles, right? Everyone kind of has the same kind of vibe to them, but she definitely stands out from that. And they actually have a pleasant chat. And it revolves around the context of, you know, being eccentric and being the black sheep by your own people's standard, right? And having these counter-beliefs that put people on edge because they fear change. And this allows them to connect really quickly And she asks the woman, okay, well, you know, first of all, who are you? Because you kind of just came up to me and started talking. The woman introduced herself as Jendakaya and says she's an artificer. And she makes weapons. And this, (laughs) this piques Callista's interest because remember when we go back to a couple episodes ago, Callista was like, this place has no defenses. It doesn't really have a need for defenses because no one can get to it. So the fact that this woman who she just met tells her I'm an artificer and I focus on my specialty, which is weapons that catches her interest. But just in time, this woman has to rush off. There's like a bell gong or whatever, and she has to rush off to do some scholarly things. But she tells Callista, if she wants to see her work, meet her back here again at sunset and she'll take her to her lab or wherever she does her thing. And Callista's hype for that because she doesn't really have anything else to look forward to, considering the council is taking their sweet time. And this takes us to the next scene. Scene two picks up with our favorite duo for the time being, uh, Ehrlich and Rise. So remember, they're on this heist mission to go to the Well of Ages and to steal water. Right? I, I simplified it, but if you've been listening, you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> So we have Ehrlich waiting above ground, which he hates for Rives, uh, Ryze is with Tyrus, and he's trying to wait until Tyrus is not suspecting of him doing anything to meet up with Ehrlich. They finally do, and then Ehrlich takes him to the back of the great library. And Ehrlich makes the decision to attempt to use some hidden walkways to get to their location quicker. Because if they use the underground tunnels Although Ehrlich knows them very well, it would put them through a lot of checkpoints. They would be invading on other warden territories. There's too much risk, and it would take a significantly longer time, like days, which, you know, rises doesn't really have days to pull this off because Tyrus would then, you know, become suspicious of something. So he's able to use these keys that, if you remember, he stole off of another um, prefect, that, you know, I won't go into that again, but he stole the prefect. He doesn't really know all the keys too well. Um, so he's kind of fumbling as they're doing this, as they're navigating through this labyrinth of walkways. And the way these, these walkways are set give more insight to the setup of the city because it's a way for the wardens to navigate uh, the grounds and the tunnels. But It's also built in a way where you can't really see them unless you're looking for them. So they're kind of out of sight, out of mind, which plays again into the masters kind of having this holier than thou view when it comes to themselves and the people that work for them. Just something to keep an eye on. And there's one gate they get to which starts to give him trouble and he's unsure which key is the appropriate one. He's kind of fumbling. And this gets the attention of some guards, which start to head their way to see, hey, what's going on? This looks, looks a bit suspicious. And Rise is even starting to get nervous until finally Ehrlich finds the key, unlocks it. They walk through and he slams the door behind him and they continue on their journey. And this takes us right into scene three. So now we're on the Rise Ehrlich train, right? <laughs> no more Callista, I warned you the beginning. So in scene three, Rise is kind of having a hard time keeping track of time as they're walking through these, you know, deep, cavernous um walkways with steep edges where if you fall, you're done. Um, and it's dark, right? And he knows now that, hey, I'm in I'm in too deep. I'm so deep in this that if Ehrlich decides to ditch him, just runs off, he would be lost down here until he died. Like he would starve to death. And that's kind of Rise is. A, I mean, we know by this point that Ryze's personality is very pendulum like, like he swings between you know panic and assurance and cockiness very quickly. Now he's in panic mode, and he knows that despite this rebellious streak, this is the wildest thing he's ever done, and his anxiety starts to kick in. And this is one thing Hedge and I talk about in a lot of champions which is how they represent real world anxiety in Terra and how different characters deal with it and what triggers it for different characters. And it's very clear that Rise does suffer from anxiety partially because of his innate power abilities and how he's grown up using them. Uh, but yeah, so he starts to question if he should be here, if he should have did the right thing, because Rise knows the difference between right and wrong. He just chooses to do wrong. Uh, Because that's what gets his blood pumping. And he thinks he should have turned in Ehrlich. And, you know, if you've ever seen when keeping it real goes wrong, <laughs> or like training day, Rise is definitely the young buck or the new guy who joins the gang who doesn't really know what he got into, but is looking for that thrill and looking for that rebellious outlet and ends up with the worst guy as his mentor. That's Ehrlich. And then after doing some ge- uh, mental gymnastics, he convinces himself, you know what? Screw it. I'm here because of Tyrus. It's Tyrus's fault. Tyrus should have just taught me how to use my powers and I wouldn't have to jump through these hoops and do these reckless things. It's Tyrus' fault. I refuse to take <laughs> responsibility for my own actions. And also he wants this book. Listen, Icathian Magic, we won't go down that road. We have other episodes. We have a series or a small uh, two-part series on Akathia, and then we talk more about Akathia in our Sharima episodes. If you want more about that, check those out. But yeah, so during this sneaking, there's a moment when someone gets close to spotting them, and Ehrlich kind of pulls him to the wall, tells him to sit quiet. They sit there for a moment, and Rise notices Ehrlich pulls out that sickle he has on him again, and he's like, oh shit, this dude's going to kill whoever shows up, and Rise tries to talk him out of it, and Ehrlich's kind of locked in. He has it ready. Luckily, the guy who comes to the corner doesn't turn it, and he starts heading back down his path, and Ehrlich puts the weapon away, and they don't end up getting seen, and this lets them continue with their journey. But there's a moment here where Rise is talking to Ehrlich about, you were going to kill that man. Um, and he says this, <laughs> Ehrlich says, no, we were going to kill him, corrected Grail. We are in this together, you and I. The answer chilled Rise. He already knew that Grail was dangerous and dangerously unstable. But until that moment, he hadn't really considered that he was this man's accomplice and that whatever happened down here, he was a part of it. Like I said, in too deep. Plenty of movies about it. So anyways, after he processes that trauma, uh, (laughs) they proceed deeper into the labyrinth and that's where this chapter ends. Chapter 18. So this chapter is split into two scenes. Like I mentioned before, we're continuing with Ehrlich and Rise here. And I'm gonna go ahead and say at the top and then explain why at the bottom. This is one of my favorite chapters so far. And this book, remember, so far, I think we've been having a great time. I don't know. You let me know. But this chapter, the way it's written, the the feelings it invokes from beginning to end are just like the author nails it. Uh so let's just get into it. So scene one, we continue with Rise and Ehrlich on their mission to steal eternal life. Right? Let's make it as grandiose as possible. <laughs> it's a pretty big deal though. I I know I'm reducing it and I'm saying it sarcastically. Uh, But I'm not being sarcastic. And Ehrlich and Rise are looking for a way to unlock this main door to this secret entrance to the Well of Ages. Now, we know. Rise doesn't know. We know because earlier when Ehrlich was doing the maps, remember he found all the different drawings and research on maps. And he was building or uh, cross-referencing them so that he could find a way to get in. He found that way and he's now sharing that with Rise as he takes him to that location. Rise doesn't know though. So they go through this back and forth on how to find the opening switch for the door and until finally Ehrlich decides to press his cheek against one of the walls and he's looking at the way the stones are lined up, looking for imperfections in the stone and he sees one. So he presses the stone and a mechanical click happens, and then a ticking noise begins. Think like a metronome, but it's picking up speed. And he's like, shit, there's a second switch. (laughs) So immediately, remember, Ryze is already in peak anxiety. He's still panicking. And Ehrlich's trying to tell him, you know, chill out because Ehrlich's a madman, so he's used to doing diabolical things. He's not concerned. But Rise is thinking, if this continues, guards will be alerted and they'll start heading this way again. And once we're caught, we're screwed. Ehrlich knew what he was looking for, so he decided to step back, look at the other side of the wall, and start counting stones again. And then he presses another stone and the ticking stops. Then a small pan on the wall opens, and we get a little quote here <laughs> relating to Rise, essentially, you know, spouting nonsense in his ear while he's trying to figure this shit out. He says, you need to learn to control your emotions. (laughs) Which at this point, we know to be true. And Rye says to him, you sound like Tyrus, Rye muttered. How do you know where the switches were? (laughs) Question mark. And he says, never underestimate the power of research, boy. Now you really sound like Tyrus, Rye said. That's a little good exchange there. Uh, that I thought was funny. So they enter the room and Rise looks confused because remember, he doesn't know what this room is since it only contains a small, dark, rectangular hole. And Ehrlich says, that's the entrance. That's how we're getting in, it's a sluice. And this sluice is originally meant to drain off excess water during floods, but it hadn't been used in over a century. And then Erlik lets Rise know he's the one going down there. <laughs> Which remember, Rise is still panicking, <laughs> and it's hard to you know as you re- as we read through this, it's hard to feel bad for Rise because he's making all the wrong decisions. So these are just the consequences of his own actions. But in his mind, it's the consequences of Tyrus's actions because remember, it's Tyrus's fault. So. Rise naturally is concerned he'll get stuck, and if he doesn't get stuck and he makes it through, that there's guards on the other end, and if there aren't guards on the other end, then the other end is just bricked over, right? And he can't get out because he'll be stuck in this hole. Ehrlich's not concerned about Rise being concerned since he really has no choice at this point, and Ehrlich also makes it clear that, hey, you're going to do this. You want this book. You're already here. And also, if you get caught on the other side, you're on your own. And Rise is like, you know what, fuck it. Starts removing some clothes so that he can fit. And then Ehrlich hands him the single keystone. And he enters the hole. And as Rise begins to move through the tunnel, Ehrlich closes the sluice behind him as Rise protests. But he's like, he doesn't care. Ehrlich just goes about his business. And there's nowhere to go but forward now. So just a quick touchstone. This kind of summarizes why I like this scene in this chapter so far, is that you get like this classic heist situation when they're flipping the switch, you then immediately jump into this you know, room with this small hole, and if you've ever watched those um, diving videos where people will go, like cave diving videos, which are terrifying, I don't recommend it, but you can probably look at a picture, um, but it's like a constant thing of claustrophobia and anxiety and what it invokes, And you can imagine the way everything is going for rise as he's on this little heist with Grail. To go through these one after the other scenarios, it's just kind of like high-paced suspense, just good, good stuff. And it's written very well. So I I suggest, even after listening to this, go read it for yourself. But this takes us into scene two. And this picks up directly where we leave off. And it keeps that same suspenseful energy before it calms down a bit. So Ryze is wiggling through this tight space, but as soon as he becomes stuck for the first time, he begins to panic. And this is the biggest panic attack, even to the point where it makes him think back to the first time he's ever felt this way. And it's during an early time when he was attempting to use his powers but couldn't really control it, and the power just kept building and building and building, to the point where it's becoming dangerous. And luckily on the ship, Tyrus wakes up and was able to get on top of the board or find him and then uh, talk him down and talk him through it. And this is not what you expect. I'm gonna read through it for you. So we start with Tyrus speaking to Rise. You're sitting cross-legged on sand. It's warm beneath you, comforting, soft. You feel the grains of sand beneath your hands. The sun is falling, giving way to dusk. But you can still feel its touch on your skin. You can hear birds calling on the wind and smell the subtle aroma of desert blooms. What else can you feel? What else can you smell and hear and see? And then Rise responds, I feel the grains of sand beneath my hands. I smell bitter root tea brewing in a pot over a fire. I hear the crackle of burning twigs. I see the embers lifting into the sky Shifting from orange to purple to dark blue, like swirls of oil on water, I see the first stars, I feel the grains of sand beneath my hands. And that's where the quote ends. And at that point, that allowed him to calm down his powers to relax and him to come back to his senses. And I wanted to read through that because this is a technique that we use in the real world. When people are going through, you know, people with anxiety are going through bad panic attacks, This is one of the recommendations is to kind of calm them down by talking them through and bringing them back to reality, right? Allowing them to focus on good things or focus their energy and their attention on something that's less impactful, like the moment at hand. And this tends to help people. I mean, this is even used in meditation when it comes to not so much verbally, but mentally focusing on your breathing as if it was a physical presence and like trying to move it around inside your body and it helps you calm down and clear your mind. So props to the writer for integrating this so well into the situation. Like I said, this is a very good chapter. (laughs) So we come back to the current situation. Using this method, he's able to calm himself down and he he continues through the tunnel, right? And unfortunately when he gets to the end, there's a grate. He doesn't get back to super panic mode. But he's like, okay, I got to figure out how to get through this. And he closes, or he gets as close as he can to the grate, and he peers out into the room, and this is what he sees. Peering out, he saw an expansive, circular room, its floor crisscrossed with arcane geometry. The marble panels lining the walls were replete with carved symbolism. And there was a large spiraling staircase that descended into the center of the chamber with cold, unnatural light spilling down from the level above. There was one other exit from the room, a giant archway sealed by golden doors, quote, covered in yet more symbols and iconography. So he found the door, right? This, <laughs> that's the important thing uh, in the room. So he's about to smash through the grate to get out, but then he hears whispers and he notices there's these hooded figures walking around. Looks like they're about to exit. So he waits for a few minutes. After they leave, he removes the gate, lowers himself into the room, or pulls himself into the room. Uh, and then there's no obvious like handle or anything on this door. There's no handle, keyholes, anything like that. He just sees this big golden space, right? And he's able to use his powers to kind of feel around and sense where it's at. And then magically two triangle or triangular holes appear uh, in the gold door. All right, bingo. So now he takes the keystone given to him by Ehrlich and it perfectly fits in one of the holes but obviously he doesn't have the other key because remember, Rise is the other key. So now he has to figure out exactly what that means instinctively starts sliding his right hand around and he slides it over the keyhole and he begins to feel magical locks. So he's used to that, but then he notices that they're more complex than anything he's ever dealt with. And he starts to doubt himself. This makes him frustrated. He already has anxiety. We we get up in this loop, right? Once again. So. (laughs) (laughs) Ryze decides to do The most Rise thing he's ever done. And he just jams his hand into this keyhole. Bro, he even says what's the worst that can happen (laughs) about a magical door, right? Okay, so after a brief moment, nothing happens. And then something locks around his wrist, yanks his full arm into the hole, and then slams his body into this golden door and knocks the wind out of him. Congratulations, Rise. God damn it. So then panic attack number 46 happens. <laughs> and he starts to feel this unbearable burning sensation in his arm. And this triggers his body to start flooding with magical energy. We've done this before, right? We know where this is going um, to the point where it's like leaking out of him. Like there's this essence leaking out of his. Remember, His vision and everything takes on this purple hue. And the magic actually leaks from his body because his vessel can't hold it all uh, when he starts generating that much. So he goes back to the sands, right? That, that, that statement of calming himself down. And I even have a quote here, again, where it says, "You know, I feel the grains of sand beneath my hands, he hissed. I feel the grains of sand beneath my hands. He clenches his eyes shut, trying to calm the rising thunder of magic lest it rip him apart. His arm was still awash with agony, sweat dripping down his body. I feel the grains of sand beneath my hand. And he starts to notice that the pain becomes less, right? It starts to calm down a bit. There's still pain, but he's not able to focus on the locks. And he decides to take it one step at a time. So he starts unlocking one lock at a time until the door actually unlocks. And his arm is freed and unharmed, which baffles him because he expected it to be burnt to a crisp, right? So now we're inside the room. I won't go through what this room looks like. It's an opulent bathhouse is how he describes it, where the well of ages is in front of him. And he looks down into the pit and he sees this unnaturally still water. And then Rise does a Rise thing again where he takes his water skin and just dunks it in the water. And then he drinks from it. What the fuck? He finishes it like it's a Gatorade, and then dunks it again because obviously he needs to bring something back to Ehrlich, or Ehrlich will kill him. And by the way, I advise against rise levels of recklessness. If you're at a point, if you're, if you're a young person, uh, I mean, I, I, I believe myself to be young as well. But if you're a younger person and you're in a rebellious phase, don't let it get this far. <laughs> rise is not a young rise is not a good role model, um, and also. Uh, there's gonna be a big revelation here. So he refills the water skin to take back to Early. And then once the water resettles, he kind of takes another look at it because he feels like this old magic. So not the same magic of the door, not magic he's dealt with in the past, but something older than that. He can tell, but he doesn't know quite what. And he looks down and he sees a rune. Now, if you haven't listened to any of our other episodes, you don't know how massive of a revelation that is, that there's a rune as part of the Well of Ages. It explains a lot. <laughs> it explains so much that I can't really tell you now because it spoils a bunch of different champion lore. Uh, but if you want to dig around, you'll find out more, right? If you, even if you just listen to our Rise episode, I think it gives you enough to kind of show you the impact of what a rune is capable of but this will have implications and I want to get there naturally on these series of episodes through the book to see where they take it. I know where it's going, um, but I just wanted to point that out. This is a big deal. Uh, so he notices it and then immediately feels his presence like he's being watched. He looks up and he sees a shadowy figure with no features watching him. And then it points at him. And Rise just starts with running. The smartest thing he's done yet, right? He's, <laughs> I think he's reached the point of like, I've done so much unnecessary shit, I need to just get out of here. So he runs, and he notices as he's running, there's more figures appearing in this mist area. And he heads back towards the tunnel, gets in, and immediately starts wiggling his way back through. And he even begins to panic, because he, he figures they're just going to, like, they're, they're amorphous figures, right? They're just going to reach in, grab me, and pull me out, and I'm dead. Um, but he makes it to the other end knocks on it, Ehrlich yanks the gate open, he pulls himself out, he's panicked, he's wide-eyed, he's covered in bruises and cuts, he's holding the water skin in a shaking hand, and Ehrlich obviously looks confused on what the hell's going on, and Ryze says quietly, take it, I'm done. And chapter 18 is finished. Oh man, yeah, this chapter is really good. If you, honestly, if you, were to say, hey, if I crack open this book, so far, what's the one chapter I would read? Chapter 18, just that chapter alone. This can be, they could animate this. Like I think most of Rise's stuff. His, I mean, his backstory is very good so far. Um, I like it a lot, and a lot of it could be animated. And I think it would, because Rise is an OG character, so the interest is already there. But this would peak people's interest in Rise a lot, especially because remember he's young and hot. And we know the League of Legends fan base, right? (laughs) All right, so I'll leave it there. As always, thanks for hanging out. Thanks for listening. We'll be back soon with the next episode. As Hatch always says, take care, everybody.